All right. So, to get right to it. Um, so, our talk today will revolve around the topic of our speech, okay? So, you know, the words we say, the words we use, right? And why I think this is one of the most crucial commands um, that, you know, we as Christians need to be mindful of and to ultimately obey. Uh, when we look at Scripture, God has given us so many, like, sobering reminders that the words we say absolutely matters. You know this already, okay? And so we have to ask, like, why is God so adamant about this? Why does he care so much about what we say? Does it mean I can't ever joke around with people? Or does, it, does being a Christian mean that I should just stay silent about social issues that's going on in our, in our uh, culture today? You know, we have freedom of speech in this country, right? Greatest thing ever. We could say whatever we want, when we want, like where we want. So as a Christian, like, why is it so important for us to explore this topic? Take a look at Matthew 15, verses uh, 10 to 11, okay? Um, by the way, the parentheses, that, that's, that's my little side note, so you know who's talking. So, and he, Jesus, called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. So Jesus says that the words that come out of us, that comes out of our mouth, that's what makes you a defiled person. Okay, the, the word defiled in the Greek is koinao. Sounds kind of Hawaiian. It's kind of pretty too, koinao, right? Um, and it essentially means to, to render or to cause to be or to become something unholy, unclean, polluted, or might I add, like corrupted, Okay? So going back to the verse then with these like other meanings that I just shared with you, it can go something like, you know, what you eat or what goes into your mouth, it, that doesn't make you dirty. Like that doesn't make you an unholy person because you wouldn't eat something dirty, right? But what comes, it's what comes out of your mouth that causes you to be or has caused you to become a person that is unholy or corrupted. So um, I'm going to... Uh, Oh, okay, let's take a look at uh, Luke 6.45. This is what it says. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Okay, that's why God cares, right? It appears that when our hearts are storing up good treasure or good fruits, we're inclined to produce good godly things, okay? And so for our purposes today, like a good heart is what produces godly words. On the contrary, if we are storing things that are evil, like worldly things, then our hearts are inclined to produce evil. And we might have a tendency to produce words that are evil-natured. So from these verses, the two that we just saw, we, we, can, uh, we can say that God absolutely cares about the words that come out of our mouths because it is directly connected to the posture of our hearts towards God. I would even add that the words that come, that come out of our mouths is an indication of our maturity in Christ. It's a reflection of how much we value our relationship with the Lord and how much we love our neighbors and you know, after all, they're, they're the people that you, you would have conversations with most of the time, right? 
Okay, one more verse before we get to the main passage. I know you're there. Um, check out Matthew 12, 36 to 37. This is what it says. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Well, that's very troubling for us, right? Like, can you imagine standing before God, having to account for every careless word that you've ever spoken in your life? That, that's kind of terrifying, because I know I've said some stupid stuff in life, okay? And uh, this should be enough of a warning for, for all of us um, to, to be careful with what we say. You know how many jokes I had to take out from the sermon to make sure I don't say any careless words? Okay? That last sentence was the only one that made it so far. Okay? So, the words that come out of our mouths, they've made us unholy, corrupted our souls, right? But, praise be to God, because God is always in the business of meeting us at our heart, right? He's always striking at the heart. And because he knows how fickle, how sinful and how evil our hearts can be. And he's not going to let believers, he's not going to let his people to wander in sin. He's just not going to do that. He's going to take care of us. So he gave us, <clears throat> sorry, therefore he gave us through scripture warnings against such kinds of talking, such kinds of speech, and instructions on how to use this gift, this ability to speak, to instead build up the church. So the words we say should be a marker of how much we love the Lord and how much we love our neighbors. So, our main passage then, Ephesians 4, 29. Burn this in your mind, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat this verse like five times today, so you're going to know it by the end of this sermon. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. If you are taking notes, these are the headings. Corrupting words, building the church, and grace to those. Sorry, I, I, I teach kids, so I'm always just like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to point to like where it is. So corrupting words, building the church, and grace to those who hear. All right, um, the first two sections are a bit longer. So if you're doing like handwritten notes, just leave yourself uh, quite a bit of space. And the the third section will be a little bit shorter. All right. So first section then. Let's focus on these words. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. I think it might have been easier for me to just make like a list of things that we probably should say and a list of things we probably should not say. And we can make like a, like a rating scale of like one to 10, like one being like, like yeah, that's, you know, that's absolutely Christian to say. Like, it's totally fine. You could say that, like you're safe. And then 10 being like, oh, don't, like you can get in trouble with the law for that, for saying stuff like that. Okay, but what about like, what if we want to make fun of our kids? I mean, it's just for fun, right? And like, we're just poking, poking fun. It's harmless. Is that like a three or a four in your books? Like, where, where, where would that land? What about like gossiping or, or cursing? Um, what if I type my words out on like social media? I'm not really saying it out loud. Where does that kind of fit in, right? Um, what about people who spread false doctrine or like teach wrong things about God? Um, what if you joke about your wife in a really bad way to your friend? That's a 20 on the 1 to 10 scale. You're dead meat. Don't do that. Okay? So it's all subjective, right? 
the rating scale, it's all subjective. And, and the rubric and all the rules, it, it would just be way too chaotic to follow. But my point is this. Everyone has significantly different standards, I think, of what is right and what is not the right thing to say, okay? Because we all come from different walks of life. And, you know, I'm not here, I'm not standing here to, like, package a nice set of rules um, that you can take home because, like, that does nothing for our hearts, okay? So we're going to look at Scripture. Two questions that we're going to probe for this first section. First question, what is corrupting talk? And the second question is, what are some godly wisdom to live by to avoid such types of speech? So let's target the first question together. To better understand what corrupting talk entails, let us consider what this word meant for the original audience who were you know, listening to this letter as it was read out loud to them. Now, you've already heard from my introduction uh, that the word defiled is synonymous to uh, unholy or corrupted. So to keep it like consistent with our main passage today, we're going to take the word corrupted and we're going to translate it back to its uh, original language, which is Greek. And you get the word sapraus, which in English means putrid. Right? That's a word we don't like use every day, putrid. Or a, common, uh, a more common word that we, we do use today is rotten, or, you know, rotten. Um, and it essentially means something that's like poor quality, something that's unfit uh, for use. So the original hearers, and maybe even you right now, you might be thinking of things like rotting vegetables or fruits or even things like animal substances, like especially like the word putrid, like, like a dead fish. It just smells bad, you know? And so uh, this word, it, 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 the word corrupted, you know, it would have been, been well understood by the people of Ephesus because, you know, there were fishermen back there. Uh, back then, uh, selling their catch. So everyone would know like what bad products would have smelled like. I think to all of us here, sitting here today, um, rotten speech, it comes in many different forms. And I'm going to be really vulnerable here, okay? And uh, I mean, here, here are a few examples that I fall into sometimes. I never said I was perfect at this, okay? I, I'm, I'm, rebu I'm rebuking myself, all right? So things like, Gossiping, cursing, being angry, and then using careless words towards somebody else in my anger. Crude joking, sexual joking, slander towards a political figure or, or a celebrity that I don't even know, like personally. Those are the things that I fall uh, into. And, you know, I don't know how many of you guys can relate to my list, um, and you'll have different ones. But there's one thing that's true about the things that I just mentioned, okay? They are so effortless to say, okay? They're effortless. It just comes out. Like you stub your toe, you're like, oh, darn it, or something worse, right? You know what I mean? Because I think like good, godly-centered, God-centered words, it takes effort, okay? And a lot of thought and a whole lot of wisdom in your heart to produce. Okay, but rotten speech, again, it's very common. It's, it's very effortless. Here's a real-life example that may have happened to you just this past week, okay? You know how, like, you know how sometimes we eat in a group setting? And when it's time to pray for the meal, everyone somehow does this thing 
where they put their index finger on their nose because they don't want to pray. It's like a, it's like a, a universal signal, signal that they just like don't want to thank God. They're like, oh, it's time. Is, does anybody want to pray? And everybody's just like, no, not, not me. Surely I, I don't want to pray, you know? Um, it, you know, it's, it's not like we're asking you to like multiply the dinner rolls or the wings. Like we just want you to thank God for the food, okay? <laughs> and so like, do, do you see what I mean though, right? Like it takes effort to say good things like praying, or like if you want to encourage someone through their problems, it's, it's really hard, um, or you know, lifting someone up when they're down, or even sharing about God, like talking about God. That, that stuff is hard. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally, okay? And um, like, you know, when you're gossiping, nobody's just like, oh no, please, you go first. No, you're just, you're in there, like you're digging into the person, you're just tearing them apart, you know, uh, behind their backs. And so it's easy, it's effortless. Um, and, you know, I think our culture, our world, it's filled with people that don't treasure God in their hearts, right? And so it's become extremely tempting, I think, like for us, even as Christians, like to take part in those kinds of speech. Thus, we need, we absolutely need to look to godly wisdom with the hope of being transformed in our minds and that our hearts can be guarded against those things. So we're going to check out, um, we're going to take a look at at some some verses from Proverbs. So here's the first one. Proverbs 10.11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So a righteous person's mouth is like a fountain of life. Everything that, com- that comes out of this person, it like overflows or it's like, it's like abundant with, with life-giving properties, right? It's godly. But the mouth of the evil or the wicked conceals violence. And the things that come out of their mouth have like a hidden agenda or like an ulterior motive. And it often leads to destruction, Here's another one from Proverbs. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Ooh, this one is so hard for me, okay? Because I struggle often with anger and self-control sometimes. And when I'm angry, like, I, I need to have better self-control over my mouth because I need to respond gently instead of reacting harshly, which makes matters worse. Here's another one from Proverbs. 30, uh, Proverbs 30, 32. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. I love this one because it's talking about someone who's like full of ego, like narcissism. They have such a hard time with self-control and just, you know, being quiet that this is, this is telling them to literally use like an external apparatus like their hand and just like covering their, like cover your mouth, like be quiet, you know, because they're lacking the, the self-control to stop talking on their own. And this is the last one we're going to look at here. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Are you getting the point here? There is a recurring theme that I'm trying to get across, okay? We have to, we must practice self-control. And this is crucial because Ephesians 4.29, the, the main passage, actually, it's not up there, sorry. The main passage, it never said that you couldn't let any bad or rotten thoughts form up or start to bubble up in your minds. It never said that. It's saying, don't let that stuff loose. Don't let that stuff out. 
So you need self-control for stuff like that. Look, if, you, if, if, you're, if you've been saved, then you have to know that the Holy Spirit, it dwells in you. And it's the Spirit that can help us to discern what is corrupted and what is not corrupted to say. You have to ask the Spirit to help you and to remind you to, help, to have self-control when that one bad thought is just at the tip of your tongue and it's ready to just let loose because otherwise the things that do come out could be evil towards God and towards other people. So we have to be careful of that. We need to um, build self-control. We, we need to pray for stuff like that. Okay? Moving on to the next section then, part two, words that, words that build a church. So we've learned that uh, corrupting talk... Uh, sorry. We've learned what corrupting talk is, and we've received some godly wisdom to defend against such things, right? Self-control. So let's go back to our main passage real quick here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And here's the part where I want to focus on for this section. But only such as is good for building up. So here are the two questions for this section. Why does God care about our words so much? And what does building up mean for the Christian today? In order to fully answer this, we have to, uh, I'll briefly look into the unique circumstances that the church in Ephesus were going through at that time, okay? It turns out a group of people called Judaizers rose to some prominence in the early church history, and their ideologies were centered around some false doctrine, and these teachings have spread its way into the church. So one of the things that they argued about that they were teaching against was, was on how a person became saved. Okay, so some questions that were raised that, um, you know, they were arguing about were things like, hey, like, were ethnic Jewish Christians at a higher standing before God than the non-Jewish or the Gentile Christians? Because, you know, like, how is a person saved? Are there any extra steps that we need to take to be saved? So those are the things they were arguing about. So Paul spent, Apostle Paul, he spends the first three chapters of Ephesians to essentially correct their theology and rebuke them, and he was like fervently pointing them to Jesus and to make it absolutely clear that Jews and Gentiles have been brought together as part of one body in Christ. So the Gentile Christians, they would have been tremendously encouraged, right? So hear this in knowing this because they needed to know that the gospel is not bound by ethnicity or any kinds of cultural heritage, but it's open to all those who put their faith in Jesus and who trust in Jesus. And that's the same for us today. Okay, the gospel invites all to come and place their faith in Christ. Check out Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, or verse 8 and 9 first. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, Paul makes sure that everyone understands, first and foremost, that you are saved by grace through faith, okay? And that is purely God's gift to us. 
not a result of works, nothing that we did could save our souls from hell, okay? By grace, you've been saved through faith. So can you imagine how encouraging this would have been to the Gentile Christians? And doesn't this truth transcend to us today? So we've been saved by grace. We are under one body united together in Christ. Hang on to this concept because we're going to come right back to it, okay? So in his letter, Paul then begins a series of like exhortations, right? In which the Christian should live by now that you are a believer. And check out how he started it off. He goes in Ephesians 4.1, he goes, I, Paul, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So what is it then? We, what is it that we Christians have been called to? I just read it to you in Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So church, we have been called to do good works, which you guessed it, includes using our words for the purposes of building up the church. Because see, look, once, once you're safe, right, you, you no longer live in the same way that you used to before you knew Christ. It's the idea of putting to death your old life, your former selves, and putting on the new life or the new self that has been washed like clean of sins by the blood of Christ. And so you are forgiven of your sins. Now go and do good works. God cares about your words because it is one of the means in which his church and his kingdom is built up here on earth. Look, to further drive my point, okay, here are two meanings that we can extract from the word building in, in this verse. So one, oh, sorry, one is it could mean that believers, you and I, are God's building. Okay, check out 1 Corinthians verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So you, believers, you are God's building. That means his spirit, it dwells inside of you. Okay? So the other meaning can be taken from here too in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10 and 11. According to the grace of God given to me, Paul, as he's writing this, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. So let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul reminds us, he conveys to us that Jesus is the foundation of our faith. So any good building, any good structure must have a strong, immovable, firm foundation to stand against the elements that may come against it. And so if God's people are considered to be God's building, then that means when you speak to another believer, you're supposed to be building up their faith. You're supposed to be strengthening their faith. And we have a responsibility as a believer to continue that. We have to continue building upon that. And you know what? Like, this is why I think discipleship group is awesome, okay? And we have to go to it as much as we can. Aside from Sunday, hear me out, aside from Sunday, it's the one other day in the week where you can gather with believers for the sole purpose of encouraging one another, for building each other up. I mean, okay, think about this, okay? I, I get to come, I get to come to DG with a set of questions, thought-provoking questions in hand, 
on Facebook, and I get to share about what God taught me from the sermon on Sunday. Or I could share something from my readings, right? my self-reflections maybe, or something awesome that God did for me during the week. And then we get to listen to other people's struggles, and they get to like confess their sins, right? And then there's like this spirit of repentance that happens. And then we get to carry each other's burdens. Like, that's awesome. We spur and we strengthen each other up. Like, don't come to DG with the purpose of like just being there for the sake of attendance because your membership contract tells you to do so. Like, bring a good word for us because I need you to help me build up my faith. Okay, like these are the good works that I think we need to be doing for one another. And let's be honest, where else can I talk about 10 pages of deleted materials? <laughs> Discipleship group, see you there this week, okay? Look, do you have a habit? Is your speech filled with stuff like this? Do you have a habit of joking around inappropriately? That's not building up the church, do you say things about God that's not based on scripture? Man, that's not building up either. Do you post things on your social media that may cause other people to doubt your faith and therefore doubt God? That's not building up the church. Husbands, do you flip out against your wife in anger and say bad things against your wife and not own up to it? That's not building up either. Do you use the same types of language as unbelievers in your workplace when no other Christians are around? That's rotten. That's not building up. Look, we're his workmanship, yes? Created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. So let's love God by building others up with our words. Last section, okay? And this one's gonna be a little bit quicker. So to finish our verse out, Paul talks about tactfulness and giving grace to others. So Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Here are the questions that, uh, here are two questions that we're going to answer in this section. When should we use our words to build up the church? So this has to do with timing. And how can our words give grace to those who hear? which I've already kind of touched on, honestly. Do you know someone who just loves to talk? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Paul says, as fits the occasion, which, you, which essentially means giving an appropriate answer or an answer that is suitable, that is fitting in that circumstance. I think it's awesome when somebody knows like their Bible and their theology and they're so good at stuff that you get, they have like all these great advice and truths on many different kinds of spiritual how-tos. But um, look at what Proverbs says about a person who is careless with their words. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. I love this. It's hilarious. It gives me like, like this imagery of someone like squaring up. And like they're getting ready to go into like a rebuttal like against someone like arguing about something. But then what he says is completely dumb and like inappropriate. It doesn't make sense. And, and it's like bad timing. And he just completely, get, like completely gets destroyed, right, by the other person. So we have to make sure that like we're, we're tactful about our circumstances, okay? Don't be a spiritual hero and try to rescue 
someone from their problems when the circumstances are not yet right. Pay attention to, th to these verses instead. Proverbs 15, 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. It's considered a joyful thing to be relevant and appropriate with the words that you say. Here's another verse, uh, Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So words appropriately spoken are considered rare and precious to those who listen, to those who hear. So you have to be tactful, okay? This is, there's a right thing to say in the moment, and there's a wrong thing to say in the moment. Be discerning. Godly things take effort, okay? So the last question is how can our words give grace to those who hear? So Paul ends the verse in Ephesians 4.29 with, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay, we've already kind of seen the word grace a couple times now from the previous section. Um, today, the, the expression to give grace or giving grace is used to signify like spiritual exercises in which we engage in for the purpose of receiving spiritual blessing. Okay, so giving someone grace could mean helping others with things like hearing the gospel, reading the word, self-reflection, or you know, engaging in godly conversations, um, maybe journaling about God, praying, asking God for forgiveness, repentance, corporate worship, etc. okay? Wouldn't you agree that, you know, these things are good things, right? And these have a tendency to bring other people closer to God. So, to sum up my three sections in one long sentence, if you're not taking notes, take this one, okay? This is one long sentence to sum it all up. God commands us to be mindful of every word that comes out of our mouths because the words we, we say can lead others to love him and love their neighbors better. Okay? Here's a little bonus section. Haha, <laughs> got you. There's a bonus section. While this verse is mainly focused on like you being the speaker, right? I think it's also just as important as for the hearer. Because as the hearer, you know that every word we say must build up the church. Well, guess what? Now you have a responsibility to make sure that the things your brothers and sisters say do not cause you or others to fall into sin. You have to call them out when they're not exemplifying godly character. You can tell them that their mouth invites a beating and then point them to Ephesians 4.29. Okay? All right, I'm gonna, here's my conclusion, okay? I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna conclude with like a short story. Back in 2006, 2007, I, I was in a, in a really, really difficult place in my life. All you need to know, to cut out all the details, all you need to know is that those two years, that season of life was the lowest point of my entire life so far, okay? One day at the end of church service, a good friend of mine, he, he, he placed an envelope on my car's windshield as I was, writing, as I was about to like, leave. 
And so I, I opened the envelope, and there was a card inside of it. And uh, written on the card was something like this. Hey, bro, I know times are hard for you right now. And, uh, you know, although I don't really understand fully what's going on, I just wanted to let you know how much I love you and how much I care for you. Keep pursuing the Lord in all that you do, even when things don't seem hopeful right now. Let's get through this together. I'm praying for you every day. Don't give up on loving God. And he signed his name at the bottom. When you have like, a, like when you're struggling with life or like even like with matters of like faith and someone encourages you with very thoughtful words like that, like your spirit becomes refreshed and you can't help but fall on your knees in repentance and worship unto the Lord. See, someone at church, they cared enough for my soul and they took time to write those words down and it led me to want to know God and to worship him better. And isn't that kind of the point of our community? Far be it from us to ever let corrupted speech come out of our mouths that it may lead someone closer to hell and further away from Jesus. Because if, you know, if what we treasure in our hearts is what will come out of us, then we have to cherish the things that are eternal and centered on God's truths. So let us be a church whose words build each other up. Let us be tactful, driven by wisdom when we speak with others. And may our words lead someone to repentance and salvation and to love God and to love their neighbors better than they have ever before. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. We are so far from perfect with our speech. God, we have filled our hearts with worldly things, and for that we repent, and we need your help. We need your spirit to remind us that our words bear so much weight, and I pray that you help us be aware of those people who need encouragement Use us individually and corporately to build up those who really need it at this time. God, give us insight and wisdom to know the right things to say so that we don't sin against you or your people. Make us more like you, Jesus. Thank you for the love that you've shown us through the cross. You are awesome. We worship you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.